Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. I am Jimmy Sabo, and it is Grand Final Eve. What a time to be alive and locked up in your house in Victoria. It's also the final show of 2020 um, for us and a perfect opportunity to fight the fear of mucking up. Do you suffer from FOMU? Then fight your fear of mucking up with British paint. Whether you're handy around the house or have never painted an exterior in your life, you can feel confident with British paint's four seasons. It goes on easily and is designed to last and last, helping you protect your home against sun, rain, wind, and mold. That's why it comes with a 25-year guarantee. So fight the FOMU and get started with British paints today. Well, you get started with British Paints, I'll get started with this jam-packed podcast. I've got 1985 Brownlow medalist and AFL Hall of Fame inductee Brad Hardy stopping by to have a chat about his career and tomorrow's granny as well. We'll get Nick Gullimano to come on to give us one last segment of Nick Off and tell us what he's pissed off about this week. And we'll cover off all the tweets and emails and hot topics of Grand Final Week. And speaking of Grand Final Week... It has felt a lot different this week, let's all be honest, especially as a supporter of a team who's who's competing in the granny. There's no grand final parade, there's no grand final training, there's no excitement in the streets. At least in Victoria, it's very strange. But what has hit me in this time to reflect, because that's all we've got really, time alone to reflect, is I honestly believe this grand final will have an asterisk but it will be one of elevation rather than demotion. It should be held as more prestigious than others, I believe. I mean, the fact that two Victorian clubs uh, are in the grand final, they've been on the road for over 100 days, not been able to train properly, been away from family and friends for long periods, would have been extremely tough. And it's, it's such a great accomplishment. For me, I've got no doubt that the two best teams in 2020 have made the big dance. And we couldn't have asked for a better grand final. For me, it's Richmond and Geelong. They've been the best te- two teams for a long time. This season, and I think if you asked a lot of people a few you know, months back, who would you like seeing playing off in a granny? I think that uh, that say Richmond and Geelong. So I'm pretty excited about that, and I'm excited to get into the rest of this podcast. We'll start with uh, a wonderful round recap of Prelim Week. Yes, Jimmy. Port was completely powerless, so the Tigers proved big cats don't mind the rain. The home side couldn't find a way to clean up Dusty, while the defensive 50 arc belonged to Noah. Bolter was bolting from the back line, Basher was bashing through opponents, and Grimes was getting port forwards dirty. Wines was intoxicating with his 24 disposals, although everyone from row A to row Z could tell Port and Houston had a problem. The final quarter belonged to Richmond as the fans were left shouting, we love our Lambert. Two goals to set up a 10-point win was the highlight of the night for the Tigers, while Port supporters asked the footy gods, how could you be so heartlet? Richmond by two kicks and into another grand final. Geelong was stronger and balder on Saturday night as Gary used his head to outsmart the Lions. He was slick, while Mitch was slam dunking, rebounding and assisting where he saw fit. Par fit, to be precise. The other Gary should be awarded a gold medal in Rowan after his three goals as the Lions became the Neely team. Nearly able to convert chances, nearly into a grand final and Lockie Nearly the only one who performed. To cap it off, Rich found out money can't buy happiness, as it'd all be lying if they said a grand final wasn't the only thing they truly wanted. Great Scott, cats into their first granny since 2011. Jimmy, with a bit of magic.
Alright, today's guest is one of the most decorated footballers and media professionals of all time. His list of achievements is longer than the distinctive sleeves he wore on field, with a Brownlow medal, best and fairest at South Fremantle and Footscray, goal-kicking awards at the Brisbane Bears, and a waffle premiership, just some of his incredible achievements. This man was inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame in 2019 after 300 waffle, VFL and AFL games and ever since he hung up the boots and picked up the mic has entertained and informed us all with his straight talking reputation and humorous stories. I'm a huge, huge fan of this incredible man so I'm privileged and fortunate to welcome Mr. Brad Hardy. Welcome Brad, happy grand final eve. G'day Jimmy, great to be with you. Brilliant, mate. So just before I ask you about your career and tomorrow's game, what's on the schedule for this weekend? Are you busy once again, or is it a bit of a different year because uh, the grand final's in Queensland? Yeah, no, nah, flat out, mate. Unfortunately, uh, we're still doing the um, for my station that I've been working for for 28 years. We, we'll be doing the group grand final tomorrow. We've got about a three-hour lead-up into the game to try and dissect and analyse and give our listeners as best um, proposals, we think, who may or may not win and why. Uh, yeah, so it should be a, a long day tomorrow, mate. And uh, of course, we've normal, got the normal commitments right throughout the week. Yeah, uh, you know, with six PR. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Um, we had Lockie Neal win the Brownlow on Sunday night. I was wondering, firstly, what you made of the ceremony, but secondly, as a Brownlow medalist yourself, how much of an impact do you think the award will have on Lockie's life? Like, I've, I've heard Shane Crawford and other winners say it changed their life winning the medal. Did it change your life? Oh, absolutely, it will, because, you know, every time you walk into a room now, you won't be just Lockie Neal, it'll be Lockie Neal, the Brownlow medalist, and, and that's how it changes instantaneously, so you carry that tag with you, they can never take it off you. Um, look, I think it's very important in these days, probably not so much for me and Croft, but uh, I'll maybe Croft a little bit in between, because uh, the remuneration, like, it's probably worth about a million bucks in, uh, you know, third-party you know, sort of uh, advertising and whatnot with uh, endorsements for, for Lockie. So, uh, yeah, it's certainly going to change his life. Mm. You won that Brownlow in your, in your first season in the VFL, which was only achieved previously by Hayden Bunton Senior. It's an incredible achievement. But also the fact you made it to the highest level after you were told, I think at 15, I believe, you might not be able to play sport ever again. Is is that true? Yes, that's correct, mate. Yeah, I was 15-year-old and uh, got caught up in a backyard fire with uh, burns to uh, 45% of my body, I uh, had a lot of skin grafts, spent about eight months in Fremantle Hospital overlooking the ground where I made my debut as a kid for, for South Fremantle and yeah, had to find a way with the skin grafts and everything that I had. Um, yeah, the doctor said, uh, forget about contact sport, mate, you are done. But uh, he said, I hope you're good at school. I said, why is that? He said, because you need to plan your life. He said, yeah, are you any good at school? I said, no, I only go there to eat my lunch. So <laughs> <laughs> that set me on the path to getting back and finding a way to play sport again, mate. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's great. And then the very next year, you play South Fremantle. I think the year after, you win the Waffle Grand Final, which I've I've heard you describe as your career highlight. How'd you end up at Footscray, and how'd you make an impact in your first year to to be the league's best player? Yeah, well, it was my twenty seventh game for South Fremantle when we won the flag, and you know everybody pats you on the back and says congratulations, champ. That'll be the first of many. Well, I'm, I stand talking to you today. Mm-hmm. Just turned fifty eight. I was the only one. Yeah. You've got to grab them when they come. Mm-hmm. I was a 17-year-old at that time. Uh, look, I had a couple of false starts. I was a Richmond supporter as a kid. They came over and gave me a couple of grand and a Bruce Monteith signed uh, 1980 Premiership jumper to say, not sign a Form 4. Um, they went for a fellow called David Palm. Then Geelong rang me up one day, Tom Hafey, 
and said, we're looking forward to having you down at Cadinia Park. Uh, they overlooked me and went for the president, Bruce Lindner, from Adelaide. Yeah. And finally, after uh, in 84, after the state game, Sean O'Sullivan came across from the Footscray Footy Club and said, uh, would you like to play for us? And I asked yeah. the question, are you sure? Because, you know, it's, uh, I've heard this before, uh, yeah. and it all fell into place. And over the summer, 84, 85, I found myself in Melbourne playing for Footscray. Yeah, brilliant. And that first year, you the league's best player would have been amazing. You played just the two seasons with the Dogs and headed to Brisbane Bears. I've heard you say that Mick Moldhouse might have played a, a, a bit to do with uh, that move. Um, he was known for his defensive footy. Is that is that one of the biggest reasons why you moved to, to Brisbane Bears? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. No, philosophical difference of opinion, for sure. And, yep. you know, I think, uh, as you'll hear, most often these days in regards to coaches, what do they need to be able to do? Well, it's all about man management and mm. uh, his skills in that level weren't great so I thought it was better that I be out of the place and I was happy and I had a vehicle to go to in, in regards to the beginning of the Brisbane Bears and yep. very very proud of that and I followed Shane O'Sullivan who got me to Footscray in the first place up to Brisbane to, to play with him and uh, played there for five years. Yeah did you ever can I ask did you speak to Mick Post like have you had a relationship with him after your time at Footscray or that was it? No no no, no. we were we, it's a, it's a cold war and, uh, yeah. you know, it was good. Congratulations to him being in the Hall of Fame the same night that I went in and that was a, you know, congratulatory shake of hands and well done and you respect people for what they do in the mm-hmm. game but uh, as is in the world, not every every personality gets on. That's it. Um, did you enjoy your time at Brisbane the most? I mean, you went from playing back pocket, you went to the forward line, you won Goal Kicker Award in, in consecutive seasons. Was it the most enjoyable at Brisbane? Oh, I know, I love Footscray. I, would, I never yeah. wanted to leave Footscray. It was okay. outstanding. Yeah. The bunch of blokes I played with were Dougie Hawkins and Robbie Gronawagon and the, the, the Super McPherson and his brother Rod and these sort of blokes. They were outstanding guys and mm-hmm. we were an outstanding team. And yeah, it just didn't quite work out the way it wanted to. But of course, then when you graduate up into Brisbane, you know, you play with the likes of the greats of Jeff Raines, Rodney Eade, yeah. uh, Rod Lester Smith, Kenny Judge. You know, there was a lot. Roger Merritt came along, Kappa came along. Yeah. So we were starting to get it together, Mark Williams. Um, you know, we also had, of course, Phil Walsh, the late Phil Walsh, was a, was also a big part of the Brisbane Bears in the early days. So from that point of view, um, yeah, no, very proud of, you have to start somewhere, and I think it's very, very difficult. You can see with the Giants, you can see with the Gold Coast Suns in more recent times, it's a, not an easy process, but, yeah, we're quite proud of what we did because the first year we won six games, the second year we won seven, and the third year we won eight. Well, these teams not even doing that today. So, mm. And they used to call us the Bad News Bears, which irks me. To the bejesus. Yeah, I can imagine. Hey, you, um, you finish your career with uh, uh, Collingwood uh, in the VFL, then you head back to WA to finish your footy career. You find a way into sport, the sports media world. How did that eventuate? Yeah. Well, I only went to Collingwood because I became very good friends with Lee Matthews um, you know, in the 85 yeah. season. And um, beyond then, he asked me, look, because I was done, I was ready to go after I'd finished at Brisbane, I was ready to go home straight away. And they asked me to come down and play the one year, didn't quite pan out the way I would have liked, but I got to play with with, uh, with the great Peter Dacos and Tony Shaw, which was grouse. Uh, yeah. you know, but, uh, I went back home and um, South Fremantle was my club. I wanted to put something back in because you'd never forget where you come from. Mm-hmm. And from my point of view, you get to a stage where you say, well, uh, yeah, you just, uh, just uh, what are you going to do elsewise? And it turned out that uh, the club uh, president and co uh, had an in with the local radio station 6PR and yep. were able to find me a, um, a seat behind the chair straight away. You, ha- you have a reputation as a, a straight talker and you're very strong in your opinions, which I love. I love that stuff. What, what would you say is the key to being successful in, in radio or media? Like, What's one piece of advice you could give to maybe an aspiring sports media professional? Oh, just, just that. You know, stick to the 
stick to the facts, believe in what you know, yep. and uh, don't move. You know, you, you've got to be certainly you'll be listening when you try and help people with their uh, education. That was the whole idea. Mm-hmm. And I could have coached, but I just wanted to help the educate the public, and that's what you need to do. So, by doing that, you uh, you have to have very strong opinions and make sure you stick to them. But in the interim, you make sure that you're. Uh, your, uh, your background work is very strong and you're very thorough in what you do and when you talk, you know you can back it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brilliant. All right, on to tomorrow. Are you in the camp that believes the best two teams in the comp have made the grand final? Is Richmond Geelong the best we could have asked for? I, I think so. Look, yeah. I, I, you know, given what they've had to do, I mean, both teams have been outside Victoria for over 100 days in, in hubs, so they haven't done it easy. I think Geelong were in Perth for about 30 days. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and likewise Richmond. It's um, I felt a long way out that Richmond looked like they were the team to beat, and I don't have any reason to step away from that tomorrow. So, yeah, you can say congratulations to Port Adelaide for being the minor premier. You can say well done to Brisbane. But there's always going to be a rider. Not that I believe in it, but people are going to say, oh, they never had to get out of their own bed. You know, they played all the home ground and game the Gabba all the time. So, yeah, I think the two best teams would probably be on their way to the Gabba tomorrow night, and uh, it should be an absolute cracker. Yeah, so you've tipped Richmond. Um, can you give us a tip for the Norm Smith and a margin? Yeah, I've tipped Richmond. I, look, it came back. They're two different styles of footing. Yeah. You know, obviously, uh, the Geelong love to control the game and the tempo of the game and kick and, you know, uncontested marks, whereas Richmond's a bit more frenzied sort of style of football that they love to play. And it could be wet tomorrow night. It sounds like it's going to be. So that'll play into the hands. They're the best uh, team in regard to pushing the ball forward all of the time. Mm-hmm. So. That's why I'm going with Richmond. I think, and, and ultimately, and no disrespect to Geelong, I think Richmond is just a bit tougher. You yep. know, I think that's going to be very, very important tomorrow to be a low-scoring game. I don't think normally in dry conditions, I think you'd need to kick 13 goals to win the grand final. I don't think that'll be the case uh, tomorrow night. And look, I'm looking uh, at trying to look at all the matchups. I think uh, human meatball Dion Prestia, yeah. he might be the one that gets off the chain because they'll all be centred around Dusty, and there'll mm-hmm. be certainly they'll be looking at Cochin, or Cochin will be looking at someone else, and. You know, there's Duncan and there's Ablett and Dangerfield and Selwood. So you can see where I'm going. There's, there's going to be a lot of matchups across yep. the board. So I think Brestia, low centre of gravity, ball on the ground all the time. Uh, really, really good player. Knows how to find the footy. I reckon he might be an Smith medalist in a winning team. Brilliant. Well, I'm a Richmond man, so I'm happy with that tip, mate. All right, uh, Brad, I, I normally end off with 10 quick-fire questions. Is that all right if we end off with that? Yeah. Brilliant. Sure. All right. What's your favourite food? Steak. Steak. Nice. Favourite movie? We'll be back after a quick break. Yeah, nice one. Uh, your favourite player of all time? Oh, Lee Matthews by yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Uh, I think in Perth, Western Australia. Yeah. Your choice of beer? Uh, yeah, happy with a VV because I've been in Victoria for too long. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> who, in, who inspires you? 
who inspires me or anybody who overcomes adversity and there's many of them at the moment in all shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. Your favourite quote? Do you have one? Uh, you should uh, uh, never be loved for what you're not. You should uh, just, just got to be yourself. Yep, love it. Your favourite band? Uh, always been an ACDC man. No yeah. Bon Scott or new Bon Scott in the early days. Yeah, nice one. Uh, what's one thing you'd like to achieve that you haven't yet achieved? Uh, I just think probably to you know make sure that uh, you impart as much knowledge as you possibly can um, to younger people who are bulletproof like I was when I was 20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice one. Last one, mate. What would you like to be remembered for? Oh, just being exactly honest and uh, not for people to not second guess what I'm thinking because uh, if I think something, I say something. Yeah, I love it, mate. You're a champion on and off the field, mate. That was absolutely brilliant. I can't thank you enough for giving up your time and coming on for a chat today. Me and a lot of others admire what you've achieved on and off the field, so today's chat means a great deal. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Brad. All the best, Jimmy. No worries. Thanks for that, mate. And I'll pass on your best to Woody when I see you tomorrow. Cheers, mate. I appreciate it. Nick off. Nick off. Nick off. Nick off. All right, everyone, it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show. And for the last time in 2020, we're going to welcome Nick Guglielmino with his famous Nick off segment. Nick off. Nick, welcome. I don't know if it's everyone's favorite, James, but thank you for that intro. <laughs> No worries. Um, I was saying we just went from one hard nut to another, from uh, Brad Hardy <laughs> to another hard one in uh, Nick Gullimino. What do you got for us this week, mate? Uh, I'm gonna. It's it's the last week of the year for the gym session, yeah. so I'm gonna try and go out with a bang here. Well, Earlier so. in the week, James Ken yeah. Hinckley got announced as this year's Coach of the Year. Mm. Now, with no disrespect to Ken or Port Adelaide, we had a wonderful year. I don't think it makes sense to award the Coach of the Year award to anyone other than the Premiership coach. I think 90% of the time, the Premiership coach should be winning it unless like something miraculous happens, like Stewie Jew taking the Suns to a prelim or something like that. I, I know it's a home and away season award, like the Brownlow, but it shouldn't be. Anyone from any side can win the Brownlow regardless of where they finish on the ladder, like Gary Ablett winning at... Um, with the Suns, but the coach of the year is always, always going to be a coach who's made finals. So why not take finals into account? Winning the flag is the ultimate prize, especially this year of all years. What Richmond and Geelong have achieved against the odds to make the grand final is remarkable. As for Port Adelaide, I I know their fans won't like hearing this, but they choked in the prelim. That, That was not Hinckley's best coaching display uh, in his career, letting Dustin Martin roam free and gather the highest amount of disposals in the game. Uh, there was nothing in that. I mean, Port had all the advantages and still lost. Home ground, home crowd, living in the comfort of their own homes, no travelling, a week's break. And then a few days after he, they lose, he wins the uh, award for best coach. So... Uh, I'm sorry, but this year, that award should belong to either Damien Hardwick or Chris Scott, depending on Saturday's result. So, yeah, to whoever has um, created this Coach of the Year award or implemented the rules for it, they can nick off. Nick off.
Oh, bang. That was strong. You went off with a bang in 2020. That's huge. I will say this, Nico, that I do disagree with you. But it's fair enough because we can agree to disagree. I think it, it should be based, I reckon, on the home and away season. So every club is even and equal. And I don't think it can always go to the team who wins the premiership because you're only as good as the, the players at your disposal. And I think the fact that Ken got that squad to you know stay on top of the ladder for the entirety of the season, I'd probably still give it to him, to be honest. I don't think, you know, just because you don't win the flag that year doesn't mean you're not the coach of the year. I don't know. We can agree to disagree. That's fair enough. But I think the challenges that, you know, Hardwick and Chris Scott came up with this year um, to deal with, you know, a big group of players living in a hub for 16 weeks or whatever it's been to overcome all the odds and all mm. the challenges and still make a grand final. Yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. Like, they should be taking finals into account. At least this year, I mean, uh, I think they deserve it um, mm. 100%. But that's yeah. just my It's opinion. a fair point. Yeah, how many times has Damien Hardwick won the award? Once, maybe? Twice? I think once. Do you think he deserves another one before his career comes to an end? Yeah, no, I definitely do. I do think that. Isn't it weird that, I know you're not going to like this, but Alistair Clarkson hasn't won one in his whole career, despite winning four premierships? Yeah. Um, I could sense that there was some underlying reason why you brought this up. But yeah, (laughs) no, I know know what you mean. Yeah. I just think, especially this year. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I can I can um, appreciate that opinion. I just think I reckon it should be based on the. T- yeah, no, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. I'm still not changing. I still think Ken and the fact that he was nearly you know was under the pump, especially last year, nearly faced the sack and then you he know was. and then he he's was, been able yeah. to turn it around. I think it's huge. But that's a good one from you, Nick. And hashtag the gym session. Let us know what you think and don't forget to abuse Nick on the way out. Nick off. Hey, um, Nico, stick stick around for the tweets and emails as you have done for, I don't know, the last four five shows maybe. Um, we've got two this week to end off. Um, a lot of people are dropped off, obviously, because their team's not in the grand final and, you know, gets to that stage of the season where it hurts when you're watching other teams um, getting success while yours is knocked out. But we've got two special ones and two um, loyal listeners. Uh, the first one is from Nathan Weller, your mate, your favorite listener. He wrote, back again. he's back again. He goes, I'm kind of pissed off. Everything I read and hear in the media, Geelong are playing themselves on Saturday. Since when did Richmond become the villain? Also, why are we so quick to undercut greatness and want it over so quickly instead of celebrating it? Hashtag the gym session. Mm. Yeah, you can go first if you want. Um, well, we, we kind of covered this last week. Yeah, you know, we Richmond's did. the villain because they're the best team in the competition and they have been for a few years. So whenever success comes, so will the hate, I guess. People yeah. want to bring you down. That's and, right. I mean, I'm, I, I mean, we've known Nathan well now for a while, us two, but mm. um, I, I'm sure he's... He's been guilty of that in the past during Hawthorne's best year and Geelong's <laughs> best year. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, that's right. When the team becomes successful, they become the villain. And that's what Richmond are right now. And the, the fairy tale story is to send Gary Ablett off um, in his last game. Is it Harry Taylor's last game? I don't think he's officially said it, but some are uh, uh, thinking it will be. Dangerfield, he wants to add the, the final thing to his resume, which is a, a premiership medal. So. That's the fairy tale story, and everyone is bloody sick of Richmond winning, and especially I don't know clubs like who have who have completed the dynasty, like Brisbane and Geelong and 
um, yeah. and Hawthorne. Do they want Richmond to, to be added to the list? I'm not so sure. So there's a lot of things that are pointing towards Richmond being the villain. It doesn't really bother me, to be honest, like this week, the build-up if Richmond aren't talked about um, because it's always going to be this one is for, is for the fans. It's not the fairy tale story. It's not the one that's going to make the general public happy. It's for the fans and the club. And this will be appreciated in time. So when you look back and go, well, Richmond won three and four years. That's a fantastic story um, if they do it. I don't know. Yeah, I, exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, I mean, ten years down the track, people—if you do win three flakes, people won't remember the hate. Yeah, like, I'm sure Brisbane used to get hate as well back yeah, in the day. But, you know, now they just get appreciated for what they were. So it'll come in time. You just got to own being the villain for now. That's right. But the, on the other side of that, if Richmond don't win, then they don't get the official dynasty, and then there's the the question marks come and the pressure comes. It's it's two very big stories. Uh, we've got another email from Frankie the Pie Fanatic. And he was very uh, complimentary with this email, and I appreciate it. He said, James, what a wonderful year of listening to your podcast it was. I can't wait for more of it in the next years. Let's take a look back now and tell me what was your favorite moment of the year and least favorite. Good luck in the grand final this week. Go Tigers for you. By the way, um, give me a Tiger story to match this. Dangerfield, one of the best of all time, first ever grand final. Gary Ablett's Geelong best ever player. Last ever game. Harry Taylor, a servant of the club. Last game ever. Tom Stewart having a baby. A lot of stories at the Cats to lean on. Let's hear your Tigers right. one. Uh, first, I go the best moment of the year for me personally was interviewing Rex Hunt, my hero. I never thought that would happen, but it was great. Um, on the field, I think I'm going to go a non-Richmond one. My, my favorite moment of the year was Jack Noon's kick after the siren, to be honest. I don't think we're ever going to see a moment like that again. In the wet. Yeah. I still don't know how that didn't get goal of the year. I just don't think we're going to witness something like that again, Nico. Do you think? I mean, it was a bloody good kick, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. In the wet as well. You know, he had the, the cameraman in his way. It was the away fans were there. It was, a, yeah. you know, a, a heavy ball. And he's drop yeah, punted but... it on a tight angle and got it. That was a sensation. I don't think we're ever going to see anything like that again. Exactly. Just the pressure of the kick as well. Yeah. You know, um, goal to win it. Um, it's It's pretty much your childhood dream you yeah. go to the park to kick a footy and you you go on the angle that's the first place you go and you know you, the first thing you say to yourself up you know this to win the game after the siren and he lived every childhood every boy's uh dream so that's right what was yeah, your favorite I, moment I of the year my favorite moment yeah. oh, that's a tough one you've, you've thrown me under the bus here but i'll put you on the spot but you should be able uh, to come up with one what, what was it was it was it the um the last game of the season where you sent off all those all those blokes with a with a nice win against Gold Coast and, and Well, I'll try and be not biased and go with something else. My favourite moment of the year would probably be Majak Dawes uh return to footy. I oh, thought yeah. that was and the inspirational because who would have thought that um that would happen after the after everything he went through pretty much. He probably thought um, his career was over at one point um, after all these personal issues happened. But, you know, against all the odds, he came back. And, yeah, I thought that was very inspirational. He did. That was good. My least favourite, I'd say, Ivan Soldo doing his ACL. I just hate that. And it's it's a shame that he's not going to be able to line up in another grand final after, yeah. you know, coming from nowhere to, to become a crucial player. Uh, do you have a least favourite moment or was it all of 2020? For the Hawks, <laughs> pretty much all <laughs> 2020. Um, but uh, probably one that stung the most was 
I'm going to have to go with something similar with you and say Sicily to win his ACL. Yeah, that was that's true. Pretty heartbreaking. It was. Yeah, no, I agree. Hey, um, he wanted me to go with a Tiger story to match Geelong. So I will say this that the Tiger story in this, this, uh, to match it in a fairy tale sense, would I'd think to have a dynasty after Dimmer was nearly sacked in 2016, and after in 2010 Brendan Gale had that bold strategy, said he wanted 75,000 members, zero debt, and three flags by 2020, and everybody laughed and doubted him. Um, to turn the club around from that point, I think is is a fairy tale story and something nobody believed would happen. But also the fact they bought they built the dynasty basically through the rookie draft. You know, you, you've got you know, the stories of, of Grimes in the preseason draft and 76 players were taken before him and Marlon Pickett in mid-season rookie draft. But you've got the rookies, Jaden Short, Jason Castagna, Kane Lambert, who couldn't get an AFL contract. He was playing in the VFL. Liam Baker, Pickett, Sidney Stack, Ivan Soldo, Chole, Arts. You know, they've rebuilt this squad from, from nowhere. And, you, you know, some people look at Tom Lynch and say, oh, look, you know, you're getting a you know free agencies a... Uh, uh, giving you this this kind of a success. Well, it hasn't because they've built it from the ground up. So I think that's a, a pretty good story to match. But I'm biased. What do you reckon, Nico? No, I, th- I think that's a good call. Um, obviously, Richmond's, uh, yeah, as you said, no one really predicted this would happen. And um, I think regardless of whether they win um, tomorrow or not, I think it, it's always going to be remembered as, you know, Richmond's dominant era. Like two flags alone, I think, is somewhat of a dynasty. It might not be as as great as Brisbane's three-peat or Geelong's three flags or Hawthorne's, but it's still uh, remarkable regardless. But, yeah, I think you make a good point. The way Richmond um, came out of nowhere, really, to get where they are. And, yeah, I, I mean, it would be nice for, I mean, you guys, especially the fans, to cap it off with the third premiership. And oh, I don't know if it's going to be Richmond's last crack of the flag. I've seen a lot. Of people coming out saying this will be Richmond's last Ooh, shot at it, wowie. but yeah, I probably wouldn't write them off next year. Yeah, I reckon I got a couple more um, cracks, and then yeah, and then the, yeah. The, the, the the new boys will have to start to take over, and it might be a not a not a rebuild, but they'll have to top up. But anyway, Nico, what's your tip for tomorrow? Give us a tip. Uh, Brad Hardy went with the Tigers. What are you going with? It's just yeah, it's hard to tip against the Tigers. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Richmond. Who I, good yeah, man. I think they'll win. I think they're too good. Very good. Well, you know who I'm tipping, Nico. Um, yes, I'm sure. I think do, do you want to say it or you don't want to think so? <laughs> no, nah, I'll say it. I think the, the Tigers, well, they don't give you many reasons not to tip them. But in saying that, it's not like you're not going to be surprised either way. Like Geelong have played some fantastic footy all season. And some, some you know, uh, say that they are the best... Um, team in the comp because they're able to bring different styles and they're able to adapt and Chris and Chris Scott is the best match day coach in the league and you know yep. their best football when they're playing their best football is better than anyone's and they've got a you know an average winning margin of what is it 53 points at the Gabba this year they play that ground extremely well so you know no one's saying they wouldn't deserve it if they win it and it's yeah the, the fact is that Richmond have been there before so that's why they are the favorites heading into this one. No, definitely. The the one thing I am looking forward to tomorrow from Geelong's point of view is Paddy Dangerfield because he has waited pretty much his whole... Like, he's been a star for how many years? And the one thing, the mm. one burden that's always been on his back is that um, elusive premiership that he's been, you know, trying to get for a few yeah. years now before he came to Geelong. 
Um, so I'm just, I'm really eager to see how he performs. You know, he's been waiting for this day for years That's and years. That's right. It's, it's he huge. He should come out firing. It's so huge. Yeah. You know, Brad Hardy, it was interesting, something he said was that his life changed and your life changes when you win a Brownlow. So from that day, you're, you're never just that player. You're, you know, Patrick Dangerfield, the Brownlow medalist, or Lockie Neal, the Brownlow medalist. It, it changes. But the one thing that he, he didn't say it in particular, but he mentioned that 1980, he won a Waffle Grand Final. And that's the one thing that is his career highlight. Above all else is the winning the Grand Final and having team success. Something that he never got to achieve in the VFL or AFL. And Paddy Dangerfield, you know, to, to make his career complete, he needs this. And this is probably Geelong's best. It's their best chance in, in a number of years to win it. You know, they've been thereabouts for the last decade. But this is yeah. it, mate. This would be the fairy tale. So this is a huge moment for them, no doubt. And yeah, for, definitely. For it, it, I'll tell you what, it'll be a really good game to watch, I reckon. I, I think this is going to be very close. Let's see. Well, it's, it's probably wet weather because it might be a bit stormy. So we'll see. It's probably going to be a wet, hard slog, and I'm looking forward to it, Nico. And uh, I'm looking forward to sinking uh, a few frothies with you when we can finally meet again face-to-face, and we'll plan next year because I reckon you need to get involved a bit in the show next year a little bit more when we can do this face-to-face. What do you reckon? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Brilliant, Nico. Thank awesome. you very much for your contribution all season. It's been great. And I've loved yeah. uh, telling people to nick off with you. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, James. It's been a good ride. <laughs> no worries, mate. Have a good one. <laughs> nick off. Yes, Jimmy! Right, before we end off and, and send you off into uh, grand final eve, the night and, and the day that you can kind of enjoy, unless you're in Victoria, um, I wanted to speak about Port Adelaide. Now, you know, while, while I think Richmond and, and Dimmer did their homework, it felt as if Port Adelaide didn't. It's not to say it hasn't been a fantastic season, because it has. The accomplishment of being on top all season, and uh, especially in a season like this, um, should not be, you know, scoffed at. And I think, I, I disagree with Nick. I think it's it, fair enough that Ken Hinckley got uh, coach of the season because of what he was able to achieve. It was tough and tenacious all night, no doubt against the Tigers, but the, the setups around stoppages left you know huge question marks over the preparation. We already mentioned the scores from stoppages and clearances, but the tactic of leaving Dusty Martin free to roam in the midfield, um, it proved costly for mine, and it was baffling, really, that you're relying on Darcy Byrne-Jones to cover him when he pushed forward as well. Um, he kicked the first goal of the game. There was no resistance on him in the, in the stoppage there, and then he... he he pushed off Darcy Byrne-Jones with Eats in the second quarter um, to kick another one. So two direct goals could have been easily avoided, which happened to be the final margin. But he had six score involvements as well, and it was just too easy for him. So it was very. I didn't understand why Hinkley wouldn't put someone to him. I think Chris Scott will because you know they've all seen what an impact he can have. But he chose to back his system, Ken Hinkley, uh, rather than you know change it to suit the occasion. Some people like that, but they weren't ready for that, in my opinion. They're not ready yet. Now, they're ready to make a prelim, um, but it, it revealed a lot. It revealed that they, they just weren't ready. Now, if you play that system next year, maybe you can go head-to-head in the midfield and you don't have to tag Dusty Martin, but they just they should have, in my opinion. And Kane Corns was, was um, very vocal on this, and he was appalled and um, questioned Ken Hinckley's uh, strategy going into it. I don't know. It, he said it could have cost them a premiership. It could have maybe if they were in the grand final. They've beaten Geelong before, so maybe it did. It was questionable, but it's still a successful season, and they need to be congratulated for what they've achieved. But I think that was a perfect representation, that prelim. That, that's where Port are. They're a game away from a grand final, in my opinion. As a Brisbane, 
Now it's odd for a team for mine to look sluggish in a do or die final, but I think Brisbane did. Now their stoppage was a nightmare at times, the setup, and I don't know if that's because I was sluggish or the preparation wasn't there, but the Cats' easy exits, especially from the front of stoppages, you know, way too many times. It was, um, it didn't look like a team that were ready to die to get into a grand final, that's all. Um, you know, they were flat-footed at stages of the night, they didn't really look themselves, and they didn't go through the corridor much, which they needed to take risks, and I don't know, a lot of people say, I don't know, I haven't played AFL, but, you, you know, you take less risks when you're stuffed, and you, the easy option is to go down the line, and there's no confidence there, so I think, look, there's no wonder they're looking for Joe Danaher, because they needed a tall forward as well to step up throughout, throughout the night, and that really didn't happen, so... I thought, you know, some people are saying maybe it's a pre-finals bye. They played one game in a month of footy. Does that make a difference, you know, mentally and physically? I'm not sure. Um, but it looked like they were inexperienced. And they were they looked a bit overawed by by the um, by the game. So I'm not sure. They finished minus 16 for contested ball, minus 17 for ground ball. Um, and loose ball gets 24 to 9. So what that indicates is they weren't hungry enough at the footy. They weren't hard enough at the footy. They couldn't combat Geelong's contested work and maybe they can if they if they didn't just play one game in a month I'm not sure but I think the same as Port it represents that this is a team that are still young and still developing and they're one game away from a grand final uh, that's where they are so next year they should be ready especially if you get Joe Danaher there because you need a forward to stand up and take big marks but also execute so you can't waste chances throughout the whole season they've been inaccurate in front of goals and they haven't had enough forwards to step up when you've got Charlie Cameron as your number one forward, as a small forward, it does paint the picture that there are problems you know, up forward for you as a, as a team. So not sure. They took just four marks um, inside 50 for the entire game. Geelong managed 14. So it was a clear domination in that uh, in that part. So it, it was no surprise to me or anyone really who watched that game that Geelong were going to run away with it. They, they missed their opportunity to Geelong along the way and kept the Lions in it, I guess, on the scoreboard. But... It was a solid season from the Lions, but a very sour exit, I think. Um, but, a, but a big tick. So well done to Chris Fagan and where he's got that side. They are definitely in the hunt for next year. All right, we'll get to the grand final. And I thought rather than just me um, talk aimlessly about the two teams, I thought I'd, I'd try and say how each team could win this game, which I did in my grand final preview, which is on the Footy Live app, if you're interested. I think during the season for the Tigers, uh, they were ranked number 18 in the AFL for clearances and number 16 for scores from stoppages. But during finals, that has changed completely in the way they've worked. And, and Dimmer pointed to Adam Kingsley and how he's worked with the, with the stoppages um, and the team throughout the final series to make sure they're not beaten in those areas because that can that can be the difference between a win and a loss, especially in a tight final. So their work around the stoppages was, was immense. Um, against Port Adelaide, especially in that last quarter. So if they can do that again against Geelong, who are number one in contested ball and clearances, I believe, they can they can work around the contest again like they did against Port. That's going to go a long way in tipping the scoreboard in their favour. I think uh, Dimmer is going to get, obviously, you know, it's a strong focus on playing that ferocious and attacking footy. And the good thing for the Tigers is that it could rain. There could be a storm on Saturday. And... Looking back at the stats, right, it's proven that in wet weather footy, the team that kicks the ball off the ground most and has the most knock-ons wins majority of the time. And that style of play is just the Tigers' DNA. So they'll be surely doing a raid and dance to hope that, that it, it rains tomorrow night at the Gabba because that could very much play into their hands. 
Um, the last time these two sides met, the Tigers did control space in the middle of the ground, so they took up that territory because you, you want to push Geelong out wide and force them to kick down the line. Um, they also play a spare man behind the pack every time. If you look at the, the, uh, the packs tomorrow, a Richmond defender will be at the back of the pack every single time. So it means if it hits the deck and Richmond win it, they've got the easy exit out the back and you can rebound. If Geelong win it, then they've still got to get past that defender. So it's been a good setup that's worked well for the Tigers and you could expect them to do it again. They will also keep a, a close eye on Tom Hawkins who's been tearing teams apart with his ruck work inside forward 50. So you'd expect... Um, the Tigers and Nankervis especially to work on that and, and see how they can combat Tom Hawkins, not only as a forward coming out and leading at the ball and, and kicking goals that way, but also in the ruck in the forward 50. So expect a plan for that. So I think if they can repeat last week's efforts in the contest, play the chaos game and, and control the territory in the middle of the ground, the Tigers should be able to get that flag, but that is obviously easier said than done. For Geelong... I think they need to stop the stars and just control possession. Um, last time we saw these teams meet, they couldn't do that properly, but there's been a lot of ins and outs since then. So it's a different Geelong lineup. Now, the, the, the Cats must take away the ability of Dustin Martin, and even um, Brad Hardy mentioned it, that you take away Dustin Martin, there is the other midfielders that can impact, like Cochin and Dion Prestier, and even Shy Bolton who can run through there. And, um, you know, Shane Edwards can get off the leash, and Basher Hawley, who was nearly a Norm Smith medalist in, in, in both grand finals, he can impact the game, but I think you need to take away Dusty, no matter what. Now, you know, you decide who plays on him. I think when he goes up forward, you put Cole Jasmine on him, but um, you have to put someone on him. You have to stop him, because he is the best finals player. If he wins another Norm Smith, you could say, of all time. So, um, you'd expect a plan for him, but a plan also for Dylan Grimes, because a lot of people don't understand how much of an impact he has on the game. Now, a lot of the time, Dylan Grimes will get, get off his opponents and, uh, and and play an intercepting role and start the rebound from defensive 50. Now, if you, oh, I think Geelong would and should keep their forward line even, so ensuring it's a six-on-six six or ensuring that Grimes isn't the loose man able to roam around and intercept. Um, so expect a plan for him, I think. It might be different because of, obviously, wet weather footy, so we're not sure. This this might all change with, with um, those stoppages. But even in a, in, in a wet a wet game, Dylan Grimes plays one of the most crucial roles. It used to be the um, Alex Rance role, but now it is the Dylan Grimes role, so they need to find a way to stop that, I think. Um, the Cats, obviously, they're excellent and elite at controlling possession and starving teams of shots at goal, and they tried that last time. Um, it didn't work because they were forced down the line, like we said, and they weren't always able to win those contested marks. You could see them, you know, if it's a wet weather footy, it's going to change that way. But taking more risks, changing the angles is going to be a key to winning this game. And I think if you can make sure the forward line functions that Tom Hawkins can get the best out of an experienced Noah Bolter, that's going to go a long way too. And I'm expecting this to be a close, a really close and tight grand final. So just one or two goals that makes a difference could decide it. I'm extremely excited about this game, and I will be honest that I'm expecting the Tigers to win because I'm a Tigers man. But as a neutral, I don't think you could have asked for a better grand final. I'm extremely nervous as a Tigers fan because Geelong could well and truly win this. Um, they've got the form to do it. They've got the framework to do it. They've got the class to do it, and they've got the fairy tales there. There would be no better send-off for Gary Ablett than a win in the grand final. And Paddy Dangerfield, like we've talked about on this show, and like everyone's talked about, the last thing that is needed to finish off his career is that grand final medal. And Chris Scott will be, obviously, as well. There's been a lot of talk about he was handed a 
you know, a premiership side in 2011. He hasn't been able to replicate that in any year since. And they've gotten close, but they fail on the big stage. This is the one chance to put it all behind him and prove that he is that fantastic coach that a lot of people believe him to be, but there's a fair few doubters who will be shut down if Geelong get the job done. Guys, that's it. Uh, that's it for the season. That's it for 2020. And I uh, can't thank you enough for everyone who's joined um, in the chat and tweeted in or contributed to the conversation by emailing or even liked the post or rated or comment everything. I appreciate it so much. I've been fortunate enough to interview some of the, the greats who I never thought I would, including Brad Hardy today. It's been an awesome experience, awesome season. Um, if you go for the Tigers, I love you even more and I hope we win tomorrow. But if you don't, and you go for Geelong and you're wanting them to win, good luck to you because either way, it's going to be a great story. And it's a great story for me that I get to end on this note. I can't thank you enough once again for contributing to this show. Um, Until next time, we'll be back next year, I promise. Take care of yourselves.